0: I'm Alan ben and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Nathan Brown, Professor of Political Science and International Affairs at George Washington University and a Distinguished Scholar on Arab Politics. You can find Nathan's full bio on the page for this episode. Well, of course, you know, domestic issues and problem has direct and indirect effect on their relations with Israel, Absolutely. one form or another. Yeah. And and uh, I'd like to hear, of course, your perspective, domestically speaking, and specifically. The these failed, repeated failed efforts to reconcile mm-hmm. between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, and to the extent to which reconciliation that can be sustained and maintained, and perhaps grow and thrive, is obviously necessary in the long time to, to reach an agreement with Israel. Or is what, when we are starting to look at, and we witnessing, I'm saying, when going there, talking to people, the three-state solution began to emerge. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> that yeah. is, Hamas, Gaza, is totally separated, you know, physically, territorially, ideologically, Uh, religiously to the extent from the the West Bank from the Palestinian Authority and the competition between the two sides so intense uh, and the effort to try to create some sort of unity government has failed miserably time and again so take us back to the internal uh, combustion uh, within the Palestinian uh, body politics So,
1: how do you see it? I think the most interesting thing on the Palestinian side is what I would say is a generational shift. So you have the old Palestinian movements. You've got you know, the PLO going back to the 1960s. You've got Fatah going back to the 50s and 60s. You've got Hamas going back to the 80s. And those are really formal movements that dominated Palestinian politics. And they're still very much there. And the Palestinian Authority created in the 1990s, they're still very, very much there. And they're active in all different kinds of ways. But you talk to younger Palestinians, and they don't have the same grip on their, I think, on their political imagination. They don't have the same legitimacy. They don't have the same buy-in. And so you're seeing a generation of Palestinians grow up for whom the PLO is history. Fatah is a corrupt party. Hamas offers an Islamic solution that isn't a solution. Um, And they're still highly nationalistic, but they don't really have any strong leadership. Um, and that will work its way through the political system. You are going to have you have a senior leadership now that is no longer young, um, that really can't command the younger generation.
0: And it, it, I think it's detached. It's detached from the younger generation. Well, I mean, correct me if you think uh, I'm, I'm wrong in this regard. That is in my, as I see it, yes, there is this generational you know, factor that's taken place. But this is new generation, you know. These are in their 30s, 40s. Mm-hmm. The second generation after the first one, not the third, which are in their 20s or, or, or less, have been indoctrinated to, at least with a nationalistic movement as such. So, albeit they have no affinity, perhaps, to the leadership, but ideologically remain committed to a national Mm-hmm. nationalistic uh, national movement espousing seeking uh, mm-hmm. independence and uh, but actually you know what you said you know that how how they are connecting you know today's reality to what was and there's a gap i think in their understanding of how do you bridge that do you do you see it that way
1: in part yeah so so the generation that you're talking about the the generation of people in the thirties and the forties, you know, they're, they're, they've they've seen a couple different attempts, or they've learned about a couple different attempts. One was, you know, achieving. Uh, a Palestinian state through armed struggle. And then it was achieving a Palestinian state through diplomacy. Neither of those worked. A little bit of achieving a, a Palestinian state through institution building. That didn't seem to work. So that's a generation that still, I think, is wedded to the idea of Palestinian statehood, but they have no strategy. They've sort of crossed out every single thing on the list. But it's that called that third generation, people in their 20s, that to me is a little bit more interesting because for them, I'm not sure it's about statehood. It's certainly about Palestinian national identity. But the idea that there should be a Palestinian state, something that takes a seat in the United Nations called Palestine and, and a Palestinian president, a Palestinian flag, in a sense, they've got half of that. They have some of the international accoutrements of statehood and it doesn't mean anything to them. Um, so they talk in terms of a, of a, of a one state solution. They talk in terms of confederal solution or, you know, I, one young Palestinian says, you know, one state, two states, 50 states. I don't care. Just give me my rights.
0: Give me their right. Yeah. I want, I want, I want my right. I want to be free. I want to have a job. I want to have an opportunity. I want to have a decent education, healthcare, and all of that. And that is, so the three approaches, you know, achieving their goal either by violence, diplomacy, or by building institutions. As I see it and I review this over the, over the years, they did not stick to any specific approach long enough, pursuing it long enough to actually to see if it's leading to what their ultimate objective is. Mm-hmm. So there is a shift that is the internal combustion, and lack of consistency within the Palestinian national movement did prevent them, prevented them from reaching or coming much closer to what their national aspirations been all about. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you see that?
1: Well, it, they tried them. I I'm, I, I think there is an underlying problem with with those approaches, and that is just weakness. How do you do diplomacy when you have very little to offer the other side? Um, uh, you know, essentially what they had to offer the Israelis was, you know, an end to conflict, kind of a better future. But those are sort of diffuse things. And, and armed struggle, the fact is they're the weaker party. Um, exactly right. I mean, these two, and, and I 100% agree with this, it's,
0: it was, even though they, 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 they couldn't pursue it because exactly what you mm-hmm. say. The third one that I've been hammering on all along is building the institutions mm-hmm. that can support statehood. They started with that to some extent, especially in the West Bank. That too is no longer the, a major focus. That is, I think this might have changed, could have changed also the attitude of Israel toward the Palestinian, if they saw the Palestinian investing enough in developing their institutions, and something that they can want to hold on to, that they do not want to be destroyed if they keep challenging Israel. Israel, I think building the institutions would not have been good only for the Palestinians. It would also send a signal to the Israelis that the Palestinians, in fact, are working toward establishing a state that it is not a challenge necessarily to Israel. And I think that is probably one of the main failures of the the Palestinian Authority. And now, of course, Hamas falls into the same
1: trap. Yeah. I, I would see it as a failure but i'd probably apportion blame differently i mean in in a sense what, so what i was saying is you know armed struggle doesn't work if 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 you're the weaker party diplomacy doesn't work if you don't seem to have that much to offer i would say the same thing with institution building it's not that it's not Good, right? You. Everybody wants to have law and order. Everybody wants to have, um, you know, rule of law and, and and that sort of thing. So those are those are good things. But the context in which Palestinians saw it being carried out was again one in which they were the weaker party, and they and so if you talk to Palestinians who sort of experienced this, they didn't experience it as this is. Palestinians building institutions. This is the international community telling us which institutions to build and who has to lead them, and so on. Um, and whether or not that's that's accurate, that's that that seems to uh, under underlie an awful lot of the cynicism I think towards the Palestinian authority and towards the senior leadership right now. These are people who um, really committed themselves uh, to an in, to an internet really to an internationally supported process and forgetting about the grassroots support at home. Yeah, they
0: lost that. They definitely they have lost that. That is, they remain committed to a concept and not, <clears throat> not having the tool or did not want to create or have the tools mm-hmm. in order to translate that concept into into reality. I, I see this happening now with, with Hamas at the last uh, since actually. Um, the Israeli withdrawal in 2007 or something like that. That's now you have nearly 11, 12 years. Hamas could have, in my view, changed direction had they focused more on building the institutions rather than challenging Israel consistently and mm-hmm. constantly. I mean, here, unlike the West Bank, Hamas, territorially speaking, were independent. Yes, you know. Yes, there was concern, Israeli concern over security and, and uh, m- the blockade that might have, you know, not come to be, to, be, to be, come, would have happened, potentially, had Hamas basically focused on building the institutions, on, this, on the state structure, with, 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 with in co- with, uh, cooperation with the or without or without it. Or without it. Uh, and they still, in my view, missing this opportunity, and whatever they're doing albeit they are much more cohesive governing institutions Mm -hmm. than the PA I think Uh, there's more order so to speak they are missing still continue to miss the opportunity I'm not justifying the Israeli position under any circumstances Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Israel has and continue to make terrible mistakes for example not accepting the concept of a hudna for, for a period of time and build on it and I expect that attitude and mind would change if there is 10 15 years
1: of peaceful coexistence
0: where do where, where do you see that
1: um, I think that's right there's there's one distinctive feature of Hamas which 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 I think will might sustain them a little bit better than other movements but 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 the fundamental argument that you're making was that they they sort of had this opportunity in Gaza um, and did not use it as they should have. I think you I, last time I was in Gaza was uh, two, what is it? it was uh, 2012, so six years ago. Mm-hmm. but even at that point, you know, what you would hear from people who lived under it, they would say, yes, there's basic kind of law and order. But but Hamas is setting itself up. You know, Hamas always said, we will not make the same mistakes Fatah did. We won't wed ourselves to positions of political authority. We won't become a corrupt movement. But they'd basically gone into government and treated it as, a, as an extension of their political party um, um, or, or the way that uh, some Palestinians would say, look, you know, Hamas is an acronym. It stands for Islamic Resistance Movement. And now they're not islamic they're not doing anything islamic they're not doing much resistance they're getting into periodic fights just to show that they can do it but they're not yeah, really they're still there exactly. yes and in terms of being they're not a movement anymore they're 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 just sort of governing uh, govern go, governing at rest. but but as i say there's one distinct feature about hamas that that should draw our attention um and that is it's one palestinian movement that actually does a decent job of replicating itself over the generation right the founding generation for hamas is you know, they're die. They both died. They've been assassinated, and so on. And this is a movement that can reproduce itself in a way that Fatah is having real trouble doing. I think the, the you know the Abu Mazen is one of the original founders of the movement. He's still there. They're run by people. Fatah has run by people you know who are in their seventies, and um, and so Hamas has a grassroots existence at least in the in in Gaza. They've been kind of snuffed out in the, in the West Bank. Uh, but that at least allows it to uh, draw on some basis of, of rejuvenation. They, I think they have no strategy. Um, they have no. They have sort of a general vision of an Islamic state in Palestine that doesn't really convince anybody anymore. Um, but at least they have some organizational vitality, which the others lack. Yeah,
0: I think they have established the, the mechanism of continuity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I say that. I mean, in, in arguing with the Israelis, you know, why, for example, they could go there, decapitate the, the, the Hamas' uh, leadership, and what would w- be then? It's exactly what you're saying. In no time, there will be new leaders coming to the fore and take over, because Hamas has done that. That is passing on that notion, their are... Um, uh, ideal ideal ideal, ideal. their mission their there is a generation can ready to take over mm-hmm. the problem with that of course is the, there is the high level of indoctrination that is also limiting their maneuvers maneuvers mm-hmm. the, uh, of the younger generation to seek to, to seek a different approach knowing that they cannot get they cannot challenge israel in mm-hmm. any significant way and, and change the, their, their plight or their conditions inside Gaza. Uh, I mean, that's... So, whereas you are absolutely correct mm-hmm. to suggest, and I think they are absolutely... that they they have that continuity created, but with that came a very high price because with that continuity, ideologically speaking, it went along with that mm-hmm. and, and and narrowed the possibilities to try to seek... Different approach, without necessarily abandoning. Which is exactly what you said. Where is the movement? Where the Islamic nationalism?
1: But but the ideal remains there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When I when I step back and look at this, when I look at you know about um, Hamas and in a sense it's a movement that managed to continues itself, continue in existence, but doesn't really really sort of offer any path. Uh, I mean. One conclusion I come to is that the way that many of us have understood the Israeli-Palestinian conflict over the last couple of decades or so, at least since Oslo, this is this is primarily a diplomatic uh, co- a conflict that is going to be managed, perhaps a little bit in the military realm and the security realm, but primarily a diplomatic conflict, and and I think. What we may be seeing with changes in Palestinian society, changes in Israeli society, is it metastasizing. This is now a generational conflict. People think not, what are we going to do so that six months from now, when we sit down at the negotiating table, we will be in a strong position. But what are population growth rates like? Where are population movements like? What it, you know and, and they're really thinking about the con, the conflict is not something that can be immediately resolved or negotiated, but something that will evolve into different forms over 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 the next generation that they will pass on to their children. Um, and that's worrying, um, but I'm worried also that it might be accurate.
0: Yeah, but then the question is to the end? That's that's the I mean in talking to the Palestinians exactly what you're saying and you know, for example they're looking at demographics um, as a tool. Uh, this is where the concept of one-state solution is coming up. So they cannot defeat Israel by force, where we can actually defeat Israel by the demographic means, provided well. There's a, that's where the one-state solution is mm-hmm. being advocated by some, some many Palestinians for that matter. Give us right. Well, there will be no Jewish state left if the Palestinians were to be given equal Mm -hmm. rights. That's not going to happen. But let's go back to Hamas. That is, I think um, a solution to the Israeli Hamas today is probably much easier to achieve than the solution to the Israeli PA conflict Mm -hmm. in the West Bank. And perhaps if Israel, the Israelis were wise enough, Hamas would be wiser a bit. And to think in those terms, this might also provide subsequently over the years perhaps an opportunity to advance the Israeli-Palestinian West Bank um, solution. Now, because as far as the the Gaza is concerned, A, there is no territorial dispute. This is, you know, it's a a given. Um, The Israelis simply do not want to go back. Under any circumstances, I'm not interested. It will be suicidal to, to to go back and govern two million people. think to have, and they know that. And and Hamas also knows that is they can afford to provoke Israel once in a while to keep the the issue alive, but mm-hmm. also knowing, um, you know, I was I was thinking for a while that in the last last uh, you know violent confrontation on, along, along the borders that. They maybe for, want to, uh, to force Israel to come in, as a matter of fact, rather than avoid that, in order not to agree to go back to the status quo ante. My understanding, as today, you know, that's actually they are talking to one another. Mm-hmm. They are talking to one another. They are now finally the Israelis may come, have come to the conclusion, perhaps, a long term, you know, hudna. Uh, may in fact, uh, may be, a, will provide certainly an interim solution, but it could be built on it. Do you do you have that sense? Uh, I mean, that is what I, my, I'm feeling that I'm based yeah. on my th- conversation with some people there.
1: I think there's something to that, um, and I think that's where things are going. I'm just not sure where things go after that. I mean, there's a real interesting contrast here when the Israelis... And the Palestinian leadership and the PLO met, really their first major accomplishment was just mutual recognition, right? That was what the first Oslo Agreement was about. We just recognize the PLO, we recognize Israel, and we'll solve everything else. So it was really about getting the two sides talking, and then we'll get to the details. Um, and here it's almost the exact opposite. Um Hamas refuses to recognize Israel. Israel will, you know, not recognize Hamas. They won't talk to each other, but of course, they talk to each other all the time.
0: They absolutely do. Even yes. when they send,
1: you know, when when they <clears throat> send rockets or, or attacks back and forth, that's a way of talking to each other. They're basically, saying, trying to say, you can do this, but not do that. And um, it's it's and there's 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 mediation going on with the Egyptians and so on. And this is no longer even quiet. I remember actually during the last war seeing a headline in an Israeli newspaper explaining that the talks had been held up because an Islamic Jihad delegation was having trouble getting to Cairo. And so these are these are this is open diplomacy. This is no longer even even exactly. surreptitious. Exactly. Yeah. The problem is. I mean, you can get a modus for that way. Uh, you can get, But if you get a modus vivendi that's not tied to any kind of broader political or diplomatic process, there's no telling where it goes. The tragedy of this, I think, is that it comes a little bit late. If it had come back 2006, 2007, 2008, when there was still some viable, I think, idea of Palestinian structures, even after the 2007 split, there was still a, you know, a PLO that Hamas wanted control over. You could imagine this evolving in some kind of direction where a uh, modus vivendi worked out between the Israelis and Hamas would uh, gradually evolve into an Israeli-Palestinian understanding. I don't see it going that way now. And so what I would see would be a set of arrangements that might be viable for a couple years, but really couldn't, couldn't be built anything, uh, in, into anything broader. That would, that would be my worry. Um, and in fact, it's also the worry of the pa- top Palestinian leadership. They are very, very scared. Abu Mazen himself is very scared of some kind of Israeli Hamas understanding that will essentially cut the Palestinian leadership out. So that's, they're, they're trying to undercut this idea. So, but, so, are they,
0: but, but, but they really can't. I mean, they can try, but they really can't. I mean, Hamas sees itself now, um, if they were to reach an agreement with Israel, they don't need permission from the Palestinian Authority. Yeah. In fact, my understanding is that if there is an agreement, and now they can focus on their domestic issues, and build the kind of build the school, build the clinics, build the hospitals, build the institutions, a uh, along Hudna, say 10, mm-hmm. 15, even 20. So we're not talking about two or three years ceasefire, yeah. but much longer period of time. Uh, again, based on what I understand with the conflict resolution is that if you have this kind of period, if the Palestinian the Hamas is to focus on building the infrastructure inside, and there is no fire, and there is no no violence taking place, in my view, you can absolutely build on that. As a matter of fact, Lieberman and others offered just recently, let's go this way, we will build for you the airport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if... I think, I think they mean it. I think the Israeli mean it at this point. We will build seaport for you. We will build airport for you. In fact, they suggested that to be built in Aqaba, near Eilat, near, uh, near for the Palestinians. I mean, this is being, is being now floated, something that you couldn't hear about before. So, so there is something happening there. And, and I, again, it comes from the experience of Hamas and Israel. Neither side is going to... They can kill each other another 10, 20, 30 years, but the stat either Israel doesn't want to get back there, Hamas knows that mm-hmm. Hamas are going to disappear. So the Hudna that was initially turned down, uh, you know, offhand, it is no longer being turned down because it is the least, uh, you know, evil option, so <laughs> to speak. You know, that's that's what I see things happening, and see to me, Egypt is supportive of this idea, because Egypt has its own problem with Hamas, obviously.
1: Well, what I was going to say is, I think there are two questions about that kind of arrangement. One is, what, is there any kind of international structure outside of the Israeli Hamas bilateral side that is supporting it? And Egypt is a key actor. A few years ago, the Europeans would have been a key actor because they were talking about building a port. They'd built the or helped build the original airport back in Gaza back in 1999, 2000. It was destroyed. So European financing could have been critical. The other Arab states, uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar uh, at a time, have been sort of rivals, um, now even, even bigger rival. So, so one question is, is there any sort of international diplomatic structure that is supporting this? Um, and that raises problems. Um, you know, on the one hand, Egypt could probably make an agreement like this work. But on the other hand, they'd be very suspicious that what Israel is trying to do is to just deliver the Palestinians over to Egypt. Um, and and you talked about how Israel doesn't want to go back into Gaza. Well, Egypt doesn't want to go back into Gaza no, either. No, but there so. is a
0: discussion between Israel and Egypt on, in this regard. That Israel does not want to, to push, take Gaza back. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, the discussion that I understand is going on is exactly saying, look, uh, Hamas can become stand on its own. You don't need to own it again. This is not, you know... And if they behave, so to speak, if there is no violence and there is Open open borders, and uh, uh, which also could help Egypt to quell the violence in the, in the Sinai to to a great extent with the with ha- with the support of ha- Hamas is not. In the, has, remember, Hamas is uh, actually kill members of the jihad or provoking Israel needlessly uh, yeah. over over the years. They've done ma- many of this killing yeah. because they do not want to get Israel again common club or Hamas uh, because of the jihad provocations. Mm-hmm. So I think there is, uh, there is something ongoing between Israel and... Uh, I know there is discussion between Israel and Egypt in, in this regard, and the Egyptian would support that, would support this kind of approach, and it's been actually insisting over the mm-hmm. years that Israel
1: accept this long-term hood now, yeah. because it will benefit them as well. It's it just gets I think more complicated. It's not necessarily undoable, but it a little it, because then you've got Egyptian interests, Hamas interests, and Israeli interests, and, and there may be some intersection. But when you introduce more cooks, it becomes a little bit more complicated. But there's there, there's also I should say a domestic Palestinian complication as well, um, and it is also not insurmountable, but it is still real. You know, Hamas really does still see itself as a Palestinian movement. And um, the question is, what happens to Hamas on the West Bank, uh, which has basically been driven underground, and they have made periodic attempts to kind of rebuild, reemerge, and and that sort of thing is one, one that that is an area where I think Israel and Hamas cannot come to an agreement. The idea of a Hamas contained in Gaza. Um, is one that Israel, I think, could probably come to terms with, at least for the short to medium term. Hamas that's re on the West Bank raises di- very, very different kinds of issues. Um, and But for Hamas, re-emerging in the West Bank is critical. So I think that a, a sort of agreement over Gaza is probably doable. When it gets to the West Bank, you might, ha- you know, see this odd scene in which Israel and Hamas are directly and conceivably even formally agreeing to arrangements in Gaza while still um, engaging in violent means against each other on the, on, on the West Bank. And the question is whether that's sustainable, whether or something like that. You know, we saw basically back in 2014 an, a Hamas-Israel war began, not over anything in Gaza, but over something in, 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 in Hebron. So there, there could be all sorts of sparks from the West Bank that could di- that could disrupt that kind of arrangement. I mean,
0: yes, I, that, that's been, and I agree with you, until now, perhaps until recently. But I think that is also changing. Hamas and the West Bank seem to me, they also understand that the conditions in Gaza is untenable, is no, no longer acceptable. I mean, we you, you know it's what's going on there better than anyone else. It is an awful situation. Uh, they, have the, they have the structure of governing, all of that, but they, they still live in a dire, dire situation as far as economically speaking, joblessness and all of that. And so the Hamas in, in, in the West Bank understand that, that an agreement with Israel in Gaza will eventually also filter, can help them, in, in, um, as long as they don't challenge the authority in in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. That is, let the, let the Israelis and Hamas agree on something in the West Bank and I mean in Gaza. And and if that is to grow and flourish is in no way is going to necessarily undermine mm-hmm. the Palestinian Authority, except that in the interim there's got to be some dialogue between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. Mm-hmm. Not to the exclusion of one another. that's that's Because Israelis also understand, you know, the Palestinian authority is not going to disappear. Not Abbas as an authority, as a governing authority, with or without Abbas. Uh, So so in terms of conflict resolution, do do you agree that if Israel or Hamas is to to choose this route now and really take it seriously with the support of Egypt, the EU, based on my discussion in, in, in Brussels, they will absolutely support this kind of an agreement. And they may also provide some funding for it. Mm -hmm. They are interested. They want to see Gaza and the conflict in Gaza between the Palestinians Palestinians to be calmed down. It's in their interest as well. So they'd be prepared to provide some funding, for example, to resettle, to compensate many of the refugees, etc., etc., When, don't you think this should I, this should be pushed further, encouraged by the international community? I mean, the United—I don't want to, cannot count on what tr- Trump is going to do. <laughs> I mean, he has disrupted the whole process more than trying to
1: achieve any breakthrough for that matter. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll go back to something I said earlier. This this would have been a wonderful idea ten years ago. Could it still work today? Perhaps. But then I would bring the Americans back in, uh, because I think the Americans might be the ones who could disrupt this being a, 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 a the beginning of something that is more than just a temporary modus vivendi. And there the Trump administration may be relevant, because I think what a lot of people see the Trump administration doing is essentially... Weighing in on the traditional final status issues that were declared by Oslo, Jerusalem, refugees, and borders, and so on. And essentially coming on down on the side of the Israeli right wing Jerusalem is going to be, uh, uh, well, th- that's not just the Israeli right wing, but Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and refugees, there are no refugees. We're going to define them out of existence. Um, uh, uh, borders, we're going to essentially annex all the settlements and so on, and and, and so forth and so on. And so what you're seeing is, um, at, I would guess, the Americans coming in and um, really supporting a set of arrangements that would, um, I think, essentially continue the conflict. They would they would, mark almost a formal end to the Oslo process and say, okay, that's not happening anymore. And instead, what's happening is you could say a a one-and-a-half-state solution. There's one state of Israel and there's there's sort of a semi-state of Palestine, or little bits of a piece of of, of Palestine. And so that the Israel-Hamas-Modus Vivendi that we're talking about um, could actually support that. But from a Palestinian perspective, it would be saying... It's, it would be almost part of the problem. It's. It would be part of an effort to contain the Palestinians in a little state or, you know, is, uh, what they li- like to call bant- Bantustans, one in Gaza, one in Ramallah, one in Nablus, and so on. And so that's where I worry about it, not in the short term. I think it would be a good idea in the short term. But in the long term, what it might do would be to... Do what we were talking about earlier—just bequeath the conflict in some other form to a later generation. Well, you know,
0: possibly. But think—think think about this scenario for Netanyahu to call President Trump and say to him, "You know, this kind of an arrangement is good for Israel's security. It's good for Israel's future. It will it will calm down the entire area. It's gonna good good for Egypt, which is also very important because of this peace between Israel and Egypt." I think this would resonate in this White House if, if it were to come from Israel. And in my field my understanding is there is something going on because Trump, does, the, whatever proposal they're coming with, it's just, uh, I think it's dead, dead on arrival mm-hmm. uh, for all intents and purposes. But dealing with, with Gaza in this respect, that does necessarily preclude in fi- uh, uh, any kind of continuing discussion mm-hmm. with the Palestinian Authority. That is, I've always maintained that try to solve all the problems between Israel and the Palestinian in a single, it did not work. Mm-hmm. It did not work, and things gotten much worse. But if you, if you divide it, as long as there is a commitment of continuity of the various discussion, then if they see the Palestinian authorities see some kind of horizon that's going to move in some kind of direction, without necessarily agreeing exactly where the border, final border is going to be withdrawn, what's going to do with the settlement, because he can't solve all of these issues at once. It mm-hmm. failed miserably in the past, and it will continue to fail because they're too complex. Mm-hmm. It, it interconnected. They did not know if the whole negotiating process was faulty at, from the very beginning. I don't think they knew really what the heck they were talking about when they sat down to negotiate, trying to find a solution to the refugee problem, security, land as well, on and on Jerusalem. It did not work. But if you divide it, and now Hamas Israel is creating almost a natural division here. Mm -hmm. Let's settle this one. Mm -hmm. That's going to have some kind of reverberation, repercussion on the overall aura of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Because Hamas is not saying, they want to lift, for example, the embargo. They want to lift the embargo to be lifted. But they're not saying, uh, we want we for Jerusalem to to be the capital of, um, of the party. They want that in their charter. They still want to destroy Israel in their charter. But we also know what the PLO had in their charter, and they decided this is not going to work. And the, police, and the Hamas will say, exactly what you said, yeah, it's all right. Where's the movement? Where's is the Islamic movement? What are they going to do what's mm-hmm. It's evaporating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so f- I think there is room now to push in that direction, mm-hmm. to begin this different kind of process that may lead to, to a result which could be sustained over mm-hmm. time rather than evaporate. I hope you're right. <laughs> No, I'm just uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm testing this yeah. you know, I mean, with you.
1: It's so it's so it's a it's it's a credible scenario. I can't say I can't say you're wrong. I guess I would say I'm um um I've been like you I've been following this a long time, and so my natural inclination is to be pessimistic. That that, that is a, that's a possible scenario, but there are ways these could go in a negative direction, and usually the people who bet on the negative outcomes win the bet. Yeah. So I hope you're right.
0: Yeah, you know, well, I'm i a sort of being accused of something <laughs> all the time. You are too optimist. And my answer to that, you know, I'd rather be optimist and wrong rather than be pessimist because I'm already, already wrong from the very beginning. <laughs> 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 so I want to leave myself a little opening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I hope we can continue this discussion uh, once in a while, maybe push
1: <laughs> well we should we should we should reconvene in 10 years and then see whether whether the optimists or the uh, uh uh pessimists were right and we can certainly hope hope to be able to talk in the meantime as well
0: yeah let's let's do that let's yeah. do that it'd be my pleasure if it's if it's if you're open sure absolutely uh, great well thank you thank you so much for taking the time okay thank you That's my pleasure Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.